You're listening to Stream of Conscience, Beckett's Religious Liberty Podcast. Today's episode is Slopes and Statues. I'm Hannah Smith, Senior Counsel at the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. And I'm Katie Geary, a Beckett Fellow. Today, we bring you the story of a World War II memorial to fallen soldiers and how it came under attack. It's a story about the unlikely connection between a major world war and American ski resorts and the role that memory and memorial play in our culture. We'll talk about the legal case that answered crucial questions about our Constitution's Establishment Clause and what it means for religious symbols in the public square. And we'll talk about why it's so important to understand our country's historic commitment to freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. Let's start at the beginning. Since 1954, a statue of Jesus has stood on what's called Big Mountain near Whitefish, Montana. It was put up by the Knights of Columbus, a private Catholic organization, on land owned by the Forest Service, a federal entity. But the reason the Knights put up the statue of Jesus in the first place goes back a decade even further, back to the Second World War. Our story really begins in 1943. In 1943, in the middle of the war, the U.S. created a specialized mountain warfare division, the 10th Light Division. It was later called the 10th Mountain Division, the name that stands today. The 10th Mountain Division was the brainchild of Charles Minnie Dole, the president of National Ski Patrol. Minnie had heard about Finnish soldiers on skis who defeated a Soviet tank force in 1939, so he lobbied the U.S. War Department to create a division of soldiers expertly trained in mountain warfare. One of America's most unusual fighting outfits, the 10th Mountain Division. What you're hearing is from The Big Picture, a documentary series produced by the Army in the 1950s. We were a peculiar assortment. Our rank and file was made up of Austrian and German Schussboomers, Olympic ski champions, European and American mountain climbers, and what today's generation would probably refer to as Ivy League double domes. An intelligence officer reported that the Germans were not impressed. So this new division underwent intense training at Camp Hale in Colorado in preparation for the brutal conditions they would encounter in the European Alps. The 10th Mountain Division didn't see action until the end of the war in 1944, but in only a matter of months, it had a very high casualty rate. Every day that you're in actual combat, you know that before you go out that day, or that night, on that mission. That's from an interview with Ray Farley. He fought with the 10th Mountain Division. That all of you aren't coming back. You just know that. It's just part of the deal. In the 10th Mountain Division, 992 soldiers were killed and over 4,000 were wounded in just 114 days. So many of the 10th Mountain Division didn't return. Those who did brought back their memories. I have to say I really loved going back to this case when we were preparing for today's episode. There are really great documentaries and podcasts out there that tell the history and all the individual stories of the 10th Mountain Division. I know, and it's not every day that we here at Beckett have the privilege of working on a case that deals with veterans and their truly remarkable stories. But this one did, because the statue that stands on Big Mountain, fondly known as Big Mountain Jesus, 
was put up as a memorial to fallen soldiers from the 10th Mountain Division. Just why the soldiers chose to memorialize the fallen in this way, we'll get to in a bit. Now, eventually, the Beckett Fund became involved in the legal case over the statue. It's really a fascinating story. I was personally intrigued and learned a lot when I first heard it. So we asked Eric Baxter, senior counsel and lead attorney on the case, to talk to us about the history of the statue as well. It initiated with veterans from the 10th Mountain Division, the Army's 10th Mountain Division, the men who served in the Alps of Italy during World War II and obviously saw a lot of atrocities, uh, had a lot of their comrades killed in battle. Um, These men had been recruited from the ski clubs uh, in the United States. So they were experienced skiers. They knew how to be in the mountain. But when they were there, they were exposed to these amazing slopes. And as they returned from the war, they became ski instructors, they became competitors, you know, they took their families on weekends to ski, and they started saying, hey, we should have resorts like they have um, in Europe. And literally, that is when the ski industry in the U.S. took off as a result of their returning from Europe. And in the 1949 and 1951s, U.S. ski championships, which were held at Big Mountain, a lot of the competitors and participants were veterans from the 10th Mountain Division. And they had a mini reunion and decided they wanted to put up something to memorialize their comrades who had died in the war. And this statue was something similar to what they'd seen in Italy and worked with the local Knights of Columbus to have it erected on the mountain. The statue is not just a war memorial. It's also a reminder of this amazing history of the sacrifices that men made in war and the way they turned it to good. The reason the 10th Mountain Division chose to build a statue of Jesus was because it reminded them of the statues they would come across in the Alps while they were fighting in Italy. The statue they chose was six feet tall. It stands on top of a five-foot pedestal, and it gets covered in snow winter after winter, so it endures all the elements and a decent amount of wear and tear. Its iconography is the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And a Sacred Heart of Jesus statue usually has the arms outstretched like this statue or sometimes spread open, you know, with the arms somewhat lower. That's Ray Leopold. The statue, you know, has him in a gown and it shows a heart over the left side of his breast. And that heart has like a crown of thorns on it. We spoke to him and to Jean Thomas, both members of the Knights of Columbus chapter in Montana that maintains the statue. Ray and Jean and their kids have repaired and repainted the statue year after year. So it's become a big part of their lives. It has great meaning for them. For me, uh, it's more spiritual because, you know, I am Catholic. Um, I'm in the Knights of Columbus. I was raised Catholic, went to Catholic grade school and high school. And um, I'm very familiar with what we call Sacred Heart of Jesus devotions. And, uh, you know, it represents how the heart of Jesus uh, uh, suffered, uh, you know, for our sins to redeem us. Here's Gene Thomas. The way it overlooks Flathead Valley here in Whitefish, Montana, and Whitefish Lake, all the way down you can see past Flathead Lake, which is 25 miles or so away from the statue. So to look with mountains on both sides and be able to get that view, to me it kind of depict what I could vision that they probably saw when they got to the top of the mountains, when they had conquered another mountain in, uh, well, Sicily and France and Germany and all of those countries when they were in the heat of a battle. 
it's kind of like the statue is quietly protecting the valley. It's not really easily visible from most angles, but from the statue's point of view, everything is clear. Well, I think it means uh, freedom. You know, we, we got to the top of the mountain. Now we're free. Uh, we've conquered another place where evil was hiding, you know. So now we got something that says peace, peace to everybody. So going back, the Knights of Columbus offered to put this memorial statue up for the 10th Mountain Division veterans and to maintain it for the foreseeable future. Big Mountain Jesus has now stood for over 60 years. When they first put it up, and every 10 years since, the Knights of Columbus have gone through the standard process to apply for a permit. They've applied and reapplied, and the Forest Service has granted them the permit no problem. No problem, that is, until 2010. That's when the Freedom From Religion Foundation, or FFRF, threatened to sue the U.S. Forest Service if they renewed the permit for the statue. There was a new president of the resort in 2010 who stumbled upon this, uh, the statue after he'd been skiing on the mountain for three months. And he saw it, learned about the story, was so intrigued by the story of the veterans who had fought in the Alps in Italy. And so he put up a big sign by the statue that told the story. And that caught the attention of the press. And uh, apparently FFRF heard about this in the media and decided that they couldn't stand to have the statue on the mountain. But why? It's... It's a memorial. It's privately funded, privately maintained, and it's legally permitted to be on the land. That's exactly right. But the Freedom From Religion Foundation's quest is to scrub the public square of any mention or symbol of religion. It's not just that they don't believe in God, but they don't want anyone else to believe or celebrate their belief in God. And so they really rove the country, sending out hundreds of letters threatening to sue communities or Um, smaller organizations who in some way have celebrated their religious beliefs in the public square. When they sued the Forest Service, it came as a big surprise to the people who actually live near Big Mountain Jesus. I thought it was ridiculous. Including Ray. I didn't really know who these people were. You know, this was uh, five, six years ago now before uh, they became more prominently known for all their various lawsuits. I knew we were going to have a battle. I just said, I'll do what I need to do, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to just roll over because, you know, somebody's making, uh, you know, some far-fetched complaint like that. And so um, I just waited to hear uh, what we could do. And it turns out that they were upset because... Since it's on federal land, uh, and the Knights of Columbus had a, have a permit and have had a permit uh, from the U.S. government since 1953, for the statue to be located there. And what I understand is these people from Madison, Wisconsin, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, uh, claim that that represents the U.S. government endorsing a religion. So this was about the Establishment Clause. Yeah, the First Amendment reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Here, FFRF said that the Forest Service issuing a permit for this statue was the government establishing or endorsing Christianity. So the Freedom From Religion Foundation sued the Forest Service, which is a government entity, and the case was going to a district court. But they hadn't sued the Knights of Columbus, who actually apply for the permit, pay for and maintain the statue. 
How did the Beckett Fund get involved? So the permit was on Forest Service land. And the Knights were concerned because it was their permit. It's their statue. And they were just being treated like everyone else who has a permit to use Forest Service land. And so they came to us and asked if we would be willing to represent them. We filed a motion in the court saying we should have a say in the outcome of this case, too. Well, the motion was granted and we entered the lawsuit. And we found out pretty quickly that there were some significant problems with FFRF's arguments. First, they were suing the Forest Service but not really on anyone's behalf because they hadn't bothered to figure out if anyone was actually even offended by the statue. Every paper that uh, came out here was saying that it was asinine. So what did that mean, legally speaking? Well, it raised the issue of standing. That's the legal term for who is authorized to bring a case in court. So they came to Montana and filed suit before they even found anybody locally who was offended by the statue. And we challenged them in court saying, really, there's no one locally who's offended by this. And the court made them go out and see if they could find someone who was offended. They spent six months trying to drum up offense about the statue um, before the case was able to proceed. Why was it important that FFRF have someone who was offended by the statue? Why did that mean something legally in this case? Well, if you want to sue in court, there's a general rule called standing that you have to have actually suffered some kind of an injury. And in Establishment Clause cases like this one, the injury question is really, you know, who's really injured by the fact that they um, see something that they consider to be offensive? Normally, you don't aren't protected by the Constitution from things that you think are offensive. There has to be something more injurious. Um, in Establishment Clause cases, courts have kind of relaxed that standard a little bit. But here they said you at least have to have someone who's offended, which hadn't happened yet. And so after six months, they found someone, um, a woman who was in her 80s, who claimed that she hadn't skied there since she was 15 because of the statue, even though at the time when she was 15, uh, the ski rope didn't even go up to the statue. So it's unlikely that she really saw it or had that much exposure. And then a couple of other people, one who said he couldn't ski anymore because of his bad knees, but he remembered the statue and he didn't like it. And then a third gentleman who claimed that he wasn't offended, but his wife was offended. And so he agreed to join the lawsuit. Those three individuals then formed the basis of standing for FFRF to challenge the statue in court. That's right. That seems kind of thin. Well, that's what we said. Mere offense taken at someone's expression shouldn't be reason enough to go to court. On standing, we first argued that you shouldn't be able to go into court and sue under the Constitution just because of a personal offense. If you think about all the ways people might be offended, the courts would be jammed up if we always let offense be the basis for suing. And so our position has always been you really have to be suffer a real injury. For example, if you're coerced to engage in a religious exercise against your beliefs, or if you're coerced to pay for something, a religious exercise that is against your will, those are real constitutional violations that should be heard in court. But mere offense is something that should be dealt with through the political process or other means. But beyond the issue of standing, Beckett still had to answer FFRF's claim that this statue violated the Establishment Clause. So our first and primary argument was that if the government has a system where it allows people to come in and speak on an equal basis, for example, most parks, you can go and get a permit, anybody can get a permit, and they can speak in a public park. And that's what happened in this case. There was a permitting system that anybody could apply to put up a monument in the Forest Service land. 
those regulations have changed now, but when the statue was put up, anybody could get a permit, and the Knights of Columbus were treated like everyone else. So our argument was, this is the Knights' private speech. They have a permit that anybody could have gotten. There are lots of monuments on public land, and they should be treated like everyone else. Ray was adamant about preserving his right to free speech. Quite frankly, I have just as much right to, uh, as a member of the Knights of Columbus, to have a statue there as anyone else has of having, uh, uh, you know, any representation of things that they're interested in. So his point is really that we lose as a country if we censor some people and not others. Okay. I understand the argument that when there's a neutral permit system, every individual and organization should be treated the same by the government. But FFRF said that the Forest Service allowing this permit, allowing this statue to stand, was sending a message, a message that the government endorsed Christianity. Well, that's what they claimed. But it became clear that the people who actually encountered the statue wouldn't see it as a government statement in the least. Would a reasonable person see this action and think that the government was trying to push religion? We think that argument didn't make any sense here because anybody who, any reasonable person who looked at this statue would think, oh, it's in the middle of a ski resort. I had to pay a ticket to get into this resort. I had to ride the private ski lift to get to the top of the resort. There's a statue of Jesus. So we argued that no reasonable person would think there was an endorsement by seeing a random statue in the middle of the forest in the middle of nowhere. And incidentally, many people who encountered the statue didn't even think of it as religious at all. Well, you know, the, the statue is just a statue. And, uh, you know, it inspired me as a Catholic because of, uh, you know, it being a Sacred Heart statue. But the people in the local area, it's like the statue is just another citizen of Whitefish, Montana. It's dealt with with a lot of uh, frivolity. And, uh, you know, people decorate the statues, especially on uh, uh, days like Mardi Gras. You know, they'll, they'll have beads around the neck. Sometimes they put uh, hats on the statue. I've seen helmet uh, ski goggles on the statue. And one thing we do when we go up to maintain the statue is we clean up the area. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of debris around there that shows people are having a good time. You know, I don't know how many beer cans and whiskey bottles we've taken out of there, but, uh, you know, some people are having uh, a festive time, unlike the uh, way we normally deal with the statue. So it's become, uh, you know, a fun icon for people in many ways. So the Beckett Fund argued that this was in no way a government endorsement of religion. And in 2013, the district court ruled in our favor. The district court found that there was no establishment of religion by putting the statue up. It turns out that the judge there seems to have been a skier there. He had a lot of memories of wearing leather ski boots and taking sack lunches up on the resort and had was familiar, very familiar with the statue. And he just said no reasonable person would think that the government was trying to push Christianity by allowing the Knights to put up this statue. But unfortunately... Unfortunately, that wasn't the end of the case. The Freedom From Religion Foundation appealed, and the case went up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which doesn't have the best track record when it comes to religious liberty. You know, there have been a lot of similar cases in the Ninth Circuit across in the middle of the Mojave Desert, Um, different religious symbols that have been used as war memorials. 
And a lot of those cases have lost in the Ninth Circuit. So we were pretty concerned about our chances there. But we felt like we had good arguments. We made them effectively. And we got two of the judges, two out of the three, to rule in our favor. And we won, despite the long odds. A panel of the Ninth Circuit held in our favor that the statue should be permitted to stand and didn't violate the Establishment Clause in the least. The main argument that they adopted was that a reasonable person who paid a ticket to go onto the private, into the private ski resort, rode the ski lift, they wouldn't be concerned about it, you know, where the line changed from private to public. They would see the statute and probably think it was the resort statue. Uh, they certainly wouldn't feel like the government was trying to force Christianity on them by allowing the statue. It had been there for 60 years for historical reasons. There are several takeaways from this case. First, when there's a neutral system, like the Forest Service's permit system, it's crucial that all individuals and organizations be treated the same under the system. Second, religious symbols frequently have significance that fits into a much broader historical or cultural context, one that isn't narrowly or exclusively religious. Like Big Mountain Jesus, a statue that means many things to many people. Right. But third, even if all it meant was something religious, a group like FFRF doesn't have the right to just eliminate it from the public square. As Eric explained, just being offended isn't a good enough reason to curb someone else's expression. If it was, our society would be even more fraught with division and argument than it already is. So if we use offense as the constitutional line, either side is going to be offended at some point in some kind of cultural war. That really shouldn't be the test that we use to gauge constitutional values. We live in a country where everyone should be treated equally, whether you're an atheist or a Christian or a Jew or some other religion. Everyone should have the same access to the public square and the same right to express themselves in public as everyone else. And so our view is that there's room for atheists to express their views in public, and no one who's offended by that should be able to shut them down. There's room for religious believers to express themselves in public, and no one should be able to shut them down. I think the whole basis for FFRF's mission this idea that religious symbols are somehow harmful and not suitable to be seen in public is pretty weak. I mean, if you look at Europe, Europe is covered with religious symbols. I mean, literally covered statues, paintings, icons everywhere. But you don't hear that Europeans are being coerced into religious practices by merely encountering these things. Not at all. And on the contrary, those countries are committed to preserving them as part of their cultural history. And that's one reason why this decision was so important. The important point is that the government doesn't get to, or organizations like FFRF, don't get to strip culture from an history just because it has religious implications. Religion ha is a part of our natural history and our natural culture, and this court's decision affirmed that it has a rightful place. I think a major point, perhaps the most important point to take from this case, is that culture is important. And culture includes memorials. It includes honoring our fallen soldiers, like the 10th Mountain Division. And it includes honoring our past. We shouldn't be afraid of symbols that carry religious meaning. And that's where Freedom From Religion Foundation gets it wrong. It's not freedom to artificially cover up or erase someone else's beliefs and customs. A public square that artificially erases religion isn't authentic. 
That's why we need to be committed to freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. Thank you to Ray Leopold and Jean Thomas for granting us interviews for today's episode, and to Beckett's own Eric Baxter. Music in this episode by Eric McNerney and Blue Dot Sessions. The Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty is a nonprofit public interest law firm dedicated to defending religious liberty for all. For more information on this case, our work, and stream of conscience, visit our website at beckettlaw.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. This is Hannah Smith and Katie Geary. Thanks for joining us.